It's a time to reflect on our good fortune to be living as Buddhist monks, supported, able to practice the Dhamma Vinaya <coughs> for the ending of suffering. Still very much a rare opportunity in this world. But as the arrival of the full moon points out, it's an opportunity that is gradually slipping away from us as we get older. So it's a good time to reflect on our practice, remind ourselves why are we practicing what our aims are and what we have to do to achieve them. And generally speaking, I think all of us are aiming for increased happiness, peace of mind, realization of the Dhamma, ultimately Nibbana. To do that, we have to remove the obstacles. <coughs> and not so much the external obstacles, which we can only influence a little bit. More importantly, the internal obstacles in our own hearts and minds. That's another good opportunity to reflect on the karma we're making as monastics. Review our practice, what we've been thinking, saying, doing, the states of mind we've been experiencing, our relationships with other people, other Sangha members, laity, relationship with the material world, and to observe maybe in particular what mental defilements have been coming up, <coughs> causing us trouble. This dukkha has its causes, and before we can overcome, get beyond dukkha, we have to understand what its causes are, what feeds it, and what we can do about that. So reviewing our practice, certainly if we are observing dukkha is on the increase, in terms of mental stress, suffering, unhappiness. That should be ringing alarm bells. Because we're not practicing to increase our dukkha. Physical dukkha, maybe, we can't do much about. As we age, the body is not so healthy, so supple. It, shows its fragility more often. But mental dukkha, 
is something we should be concerned about if we're noticing it coming up more often. <clears throat> so that's where we're learning. Our experience of, particularly of the mind, the jitta, as it interacts with the world. And learning to see, well, where greed, anger, delusion and their different offshoots are running the show, taking over the mind, well, that's where dukkha will arise. One of the phrases you hear often in Thailand is that we are born alone and we die alone. <coughs> Possibly it's a phrase that teachers feel necessary to say because particularly in Thailand the culture is one of very, people are very friendly and bind together very well, very sociable family relationships and ties are very warm which uh, gives people a lot of support but when we come to eking out weeding out defilements from the mind sometimes it can also be a problem or an obstacle so teachers have to remind us that although we depend on Kalyanamitta and Sangha and lay supporters for our livelihood and for support, in the end we have to do this practice ourselves. Even though we say we're practicing for the benefit of ourselves and others, and we have to start with ourselves if we're to be successful. Otherwise any aid or help we feel we want to give to others is going to be tainted with greed, anger, delusion, one way or another. So a lot of our practice is about turning attention inwards. We learn as we relate to the world, interact with others, but then we, the place we learn is our own mind. <coughs> particularly learning about karma. Learning about the roots of karma, greed, anger, delusion that leads to suffering, non-greed, non-anger, non-delusion that develops the path that leads to realization and freedom from suffering. So every day we have our reflection, you know, I'm the owner of my karma, heir to my karma, born of my karma abide supported by my karma, related to my karma, whatever karma I have done, for good or for ill, of that I'll be the heir. Drummed into you, as we chant it regularly, and it flows through all the Buddhist teachings. <coughs> Sometimes reflecting on our karma and what we've done and said and thought, how it's come up and where it's brought us to where we are right now in our lives. It can uh, make us feel world weary. <coughs> but that's maybe a good thing. Nibida, insight into 
The suffering of the world leads to weariness, tiredness. Wisely fed up with suffering and the possibility, the potential for more suffering. The only really, the real way Nibbida or insight can arise in this way is by reflecting on dukkha, its causes, what it does to us. And here I mean the dukkha that we make through our lives, not so much the, the normal dukkha of just being born a human being in an imperfect world and having to experience the aches and pains and hunger and the basic difficulties we all encounter as human beings. More just the dukkha that we create ourselves, we fabricate, we bring up through our wrong thinking, incorrect thinking, incorrect views, attitudes that we hold on to and lead on to making karma. Lumpur Cha encouraged us to face dukkha, look at it. Because he knew this is where you learn. You learn from the suffering that you experience. You learn from reflecting on karma, what leads to what. And the place to learn is this body and mind in the present moment. We can learn a little bit from the past, so we do reflect on past actions. Uh, we can plan for the future. But we have to really learn from the present moment what's unfolding moment to moment in the mind. And in terms of karma, really becoming clear on our intentions and whether they're skillful or not and what they're leading on to. So doubts about karma and understanding about karma tends to emerge out of the practice of mindfulness, putting attention, paying attention to the mind from moment to moment, really getting to know your own mind and see clearly what intentions are coming up and getting to know their flavor, their qualities. And then looking and learning from the results of those intentions. Every moment of consciousness we have perceptions, we have feeling arising. The way we perceive ourselves, other people, the feelings, pleasant, unpleasant, neutral. We're learning from looking at our intention. When you have an unwholesome intention, you just see what perceptions accompany it and what kind of feeling you have in your mind. When you become really mindful, it's hard to hold on to such an unwholesome, unskillful intention because you see it already as the cause of suffering. When we first start practicing, often we, we're learning way after the event. You know, we've had some bad experience and it's only much later that we sort of reflect on it and maybe learn a few lessons and think, oh, I'm going to do that differently next time. But for a monastic, we're practicing mindfulness every day, keeping the Vinaya every day, reflecting on our experience every day. So we're homing in on the mind all the time to the point where we can 
be aware of Kilesa's greed, anger, delusion arising and identifying that these are the causes of suffering and particularly seeing they have a feeling with them. Unpleasant feeling comes with any kind of mental agitation and unwholesome mental states. Negative karma forming in the mind will agitate the mind. It doesn't make the mind peaceful. <coughs> we may fool ourselves, say like when you have greed and you get what you want for a while, you feel satisfied, you might fool yourself that you're uh, peaceful. But if you keep watching and keep establishing mindfulness, you see any mental intention with greed does not lead to a peace of mind, does not lead to real contentment, stillness, clarity. It agitates the mind and it causes, it's the cause for more greed to arise, more craving, more attachment. And the same with anger. Usually that's more obvious to us. As we establish mindfulness, you can see any thoughts of negativity, whether it's mild irritation, full-blown rage or hatred. It's accompanied by an unpleasant feeling. Body in body and mind. It's not for our benefit. And these kind of reflections we're developing every day in our training, just coming back to the mind and observing what leads to what. And our aim is to develop mindfulness because that gives us this quality of the steadiness of mind and able to observe closely what's going on and without getting caught into further self-criticism or judgments, getting upset about what we see, but just noting. And wisdom arises when you note okay, a certain mental state. If you dwell on it, hold on to it, keep it in mind, you're suffering. And when you see that, you want to let go, abandon. This practice takes a bit of time, so we develop patience, endurance, because it's the best incinerator of defilements. It burns them up. That patience will come through, partly through listening to the Dhamma, gaining faith from our teachers, from the Buddha's words, from our teachers, partly from our own experience, gaining more confidence when we see that we can develop mindfulness and we can develop some insight, seeing where suffering comes from and starting to abandon the causes of it from our mind and experience some of the relief, the peace that comes. The more you do that, the more you're willing to keep doing it. So patience increases, improves. And determination improves. We're more determined once we can see we can overcome some of the most basic defilements, the worst ones you might say, then we gain more determination of mind to keep going and maybe take on a little bit more and try harder in our practice. Probably the first defilement you might expect to recognize and then remove, at least partially from your experience, is doubt, or at least the, the kind of doubt that causes you suffering. 
because as you practice, you get to know how the practice works, how it affects you. You may still have doubts about that which you don't know. So we, we don't know Nibbana, say, or some of the deeper states of Samadhi. But if you've had a moment of anger and you've been willing to establish mindfulness and let go of it, then you have no doubt that that was a good thing to do. So progress in the practice often comes when we recognize what we're doing, see the value of it, see the goodness of it, and start letting go of some of those doubts. And then we get released more energy to keep practicing. We can only gain so much understanding and reduce doubt um, from other people's words, from listening to talks, answering, asking questions, we can only gain so much from that. Really, it has to come from our own observation. That takes time, which is why we need the patience. But if you give yourself the time, keep practicing, then you can turn back and look and say, oh, I can remember a year ago, or three years ago, whatever it may be, I used to get really upset about this or that or I used to struggle with my craving, wanting this, wanting that. Now I can see that kind of suffering has subsided. If you really recognize that with mindfulness, with wisdom, then <coughs> that's a little moment of victory and some doubts will pass away for sure from your mind because you know you've done something good. If you keep building on those moments it may take time, but you can see that you have the capacity to, to train, to learn from your experience. And we get a lot of energy from that, a lot of even rapture and happiness when we reflect back on the practice we've done so much, so, uh, so far. It's also learning about karma again, just seeing what it really does help us when we put effort into developing non-greed, non-anger, non-delusion and abandoning greed, anger and delusion it really helps us as human beings the way a human mind works is you can train it and particularly develop new skillful habits when we come into the monastery we are overwhelmed by all the habits we've accumulated so far in our life, we've done a lot of unskillful things, some skillful things, but a lot of unskillful things and had a lot of time where we just weren't mindful and weren't developing the path very clearly. That's our starting point. We have to accept that. But as you practice just the goodness of the environment, living in a Buddhist monastery, practicing mindfulness, learning the Vinaya, hearing the teachings, reflecting on them, this develop, can't help but to develop good habits, new good habits. And again, this is where we see doubts dropping away as good new habits form some of the negative mind states that have plagued us in the past, caused us stress and suffering, drop away. We probably all experience Things like you come into the monastery, you still might have the thoughts about eating at different times of day or get annoyed with bugs and want to 
swat them, squash them. Had different speech habits that maybe we've picked up on when we come into the monastery and seeing they're very negative. But then over time, just the streamlining effect of the Vinaya is that we gradually give up those intentions because they're out of place. First of all, they're out of place in the monastery, but more deeply they become out of place in your own mind as it becomes more refined, more wholesome. We may still have deeper attachments to the, the body and the mind, the five candors, that mean we still have lust and greed and anger for the pleasures of the body or anger coming up with our, when we're frustrated in our desires. But on some levels we can already see progress. and we, That's where we have to look and appreciate the value of the practice because that's where we'll get energy and faith to keep going. If I've done this much so far, then I can keep going. Usually you reach a point where the Vinaya practice becomes just normal for you. You're used to the rules, the simplicity, the restraint, the harmlessness, the kindness, all the different qualities that the Vinaya encourages. They just become normal, so it become, you become at ease with it. Even if on a deeper level you've still got defilements bothering you, you know how to deal with them wisely. And quite naturally you're... you're shaving off the rough edges of your character and your behavior. So then the practice becomes a lot more pleasant as you get used to the Vinaya. You appreciate it more. Just like a friend who, when you first met them, you maybe you didn't appreciate them because you didn't know them very well. Once you've known them for a few years, you realize they're a good person, a reliable person. They can help you and you appreciate them. In the same way, the Vinaya, after a while, you appreciate it's a real support. Once you appreciate it, then you're quite happy to give up to it. Trust it, that it's going in the right direction. You know, first, when we keep the Vinaya, we have to trust in the word of the Buddha, teachers. They say it's worth following, it's worth keeping. But in our heart, we maybe don't yet accept it. We doubt. Again, we doubt or resist because we're also dealing with all our craving and wanting that's being frustrated by the Vinaya, looking around for someone to blame. <clears throat> but as you practice more, maybe you appreciate it's actually helping to calm you down, helping you to be more at ease within your own skin and within society as a whole. When that happens, then when you practice meditation, it gets a lot easier to sit down, you're not battling with thoughts of negativity towards others or different cravings and wantings that are still unfulfilled. You, your thinking tends to be more the thinking of the Vinaya, so you're very quick, very alert to recognize unskillful mental states when they come up. You recognize that greed as greed, ill will as ill will, anxiety, stress and so on. You're recognizing the different hindrances as they come up much better once you become established in the Vinaya. <coughs> hand in hand with that is just your basic effort in developing mindfulness. If you practice it every day, over and over again, 
generally you get better at it. It can still be very frustrating, but generally you're getting to know your mind, what you need to do to calm it down, what you need to do to bring up mindfulness. You're recognizing that in your own behavior, so you recognize, well, putting effort into sitting and walking meditation, getting up early, not indulging in sleep, not eating too much, not socializing too much, not seeking distraction too much. You see the value of all that, of all of that, the more you practice. So then again, it gets easier to develop mindfulness. Hopefully at some point, sooner or later, then you experience some states of calm. When you have those states of calm, you can really ponder, reflect on your experience with some wisdom rather than just always going to the, the emotional reaction to whatever comes up. This state of calm you know, it comes in the body, partly through the body getting used to sitting, walking, being still, <coughs> and your mind mindfulness and wisdom, learning not to just attach and react to every bodily sensation or ache or pain. And then mentally, psychologically, you're becoming calm because you're recognizing what ways of thinking and what, medi what ways, what qualities you need to bring up to develop calm, the mindfulness, the patience, the effort and using some wise reflection to deal with particular hindrances that may be bothering you. You get better at doing that. So then there's more opportunity to experience some states of calm, steadiness of mind, and these help you to reflect even more deeply. It's states of calm, stillness, samadhi, which exposes dukkha for what it is. You're not going to get weary of dukkha just reading about it, talking about it. In the end, even just thinking about it is not enough. We have to actually calm the mind down, experience some stillness, a sense of peace, well-being, and then just observe dukkha as it is. Dukkha is dukkha. Recognize the first noble truth. So if you have a mind that is calm, if only for a few minutes, that which is not calm coming into the mind's experience is exposed as suffering. So at first we expose the more coarser kinds of greed, lust, anger. But as we practice, maybe some more subtle defilements are exposed, and maybe the conceit that forms around even states of peace, states of samadhi, that sense of me, mine, this is my my mind, my samadhi, my goodness, even these are exposed as a cause of suffering. And wherever, as Ajahn Chah used to say, wherever you attach or cling and wherever you're wanting, you'll suffer. But you have to be get the mind to the point where it can observe that, see that clearly for the lesson to be learned. So we have to be willing to keep looking, investigating, keep looking at even painful experiences that we don't want to look at. But looking at them, 
whether it's the pain in the body, or painful memories, agitating states of mind, being able to look at them and see them as they are, as things that are defiled and defiling the mind, causing us suffering. The more clearly we see, the more the mind wearies of that, gets tired of clinging on to that which is suffering, so it wants to let go, abandon. That kind of realization one can only do through practice. All the study and learning and thinking about the Dhamma certainly helps up to a point, but then we also have to bring the mind to this clarity of stillness and then observe and apply the three characteristics. What you want is not yourself, it's not permanent, it's dukkha. Whatever you want, whatever you cling to, whatever you identify with in this world. And the way we see the world is seeing these candors, body and mind, feelings, perceptions, mental formation, sense consciousness. When we get the message, it's a better way is to give up wanting than to try and get what you want. When we haven't really seen it and seen it clearly, then we're still doubting again, wondering oh, if I want, I'll probably get that thing, then I'll be happy. So we keep going on in that way, or if I get rid of what I don't want, then I'll be happy. But you really have to look at it over and over again, this process that's going on in the mind to start wearying of it and maybe look for another way out, which is the way of going towards Nibbana, the unconditioned. Just giving up the wanting itself. Going to steadiness and saying, mm, everything that I cling to, I want, is impermanent, it's suffering, it's not self. That's what makes the mind weary want to relinquish when you see that whatever it is you've got put your faith in for your happiness what you think will bring you some kind of happiness fulfillment whatever desire seems to be the right thing it's not but you have to teach your mind get your mind to really realize and see that then it will let go If we're really stuck on contemplating, there's always just come back to the physical body. Whenever you're meditating, set aside some time just to contemplate this body. What is it that you cling to as self? Me, mine, belonging to me. It's a mass of unattractive things as we chant. It's a sealed bag of skin. It's smelly, it's dirty, it dirties whatever comes in contact with it. It's aging, it's painful, and if you open it up, it's revolting inside. Even when we don't open it up, it's bringing out unpleasant, smelly things all the time. <coughs> all the outflows from the body, none of it is desirable, we want to get rid of it as soon as it comes out. 
whether it's excrement, urine, sweat, snot, earwax, grease, whatever. Keep reflecting on that. You realize how deluded you've been all these years. Attaching to this body is something good. And all the pleasure and pain that comes with it. And all the other things in the world we cling to, other people, other things, based around our attachment to this body. It's just been a delusion. So the more you investigate that, you get tired of clinging, identifying with it as self. So there's different things that bring us happiness in the practice. There's the happiness of just learning to be at ease with sila, with the vinaya, living with other people, living with simplicity, <coughs> celibacy. There's the happiness of that comes through the practice of mindfulness, just learning to calm the mind, let go of negative mind states. There's the happiness of insight, looking even more deeply, more thoroughly to the nature of phenomena and knowing these things are not to be clung to or identified with. You might say this is the, the highest good habit we can develop, the, develop the habit of insight, insight, knowledge, and then abandoning craving attachment, abandoning wanting, abandoning clinging. It's something you have to practice. So sometimes we practice it in a more coarse way. Say, oh, I'm not going to take this, something you want. You know, I won't take that today. Say some food or drink or some requisite. Or you want to have a nice lie down and say, no, I'm going to sit and walk longer. And sometimes we do it on a coarse way just to teach ourselves. But increasingly we're learning to do it as a mental thing, mentally relinquishing where craving and attachment is forming. And we have to practice that so we get better at it, stronger, faster, more skillful at doing it. And of course that's going away against the, the way of the world, which is more about acquiring things, following your desires, being somebody, something, it's more about building up and accumulating than relinquishing. So you have a double challenge. Not only you have to work with your own mind, you have to work with other people. And some people think becoming a Buddhist monk is like death. You're just dying to the world because you're giving up so much. What they don't understand is you know, that that kind of death leads to happiness. You have people disagreeing with what you're doing, questioning, criticizing. It's just something you have to put up with, practice patience. But then you can use that again as food for reflection. You know, someone criticizes you for being a monk and it causes some reaction of dukkha. Well, look at that. Learn from it. Every bit of dukkha is our teacher. You might not be able to stop them criticizing you, but you can stop your reaction by relinquishing the sense of self, 
the pride, the conceit, whatever it is that's fueling the the feeling of unhappiness. Let go of that. <coughs> the more you practice that, the better you'll get at it. Then it doesn't matter. So in the practice we have, you know, most of the time two ways to go. The way of following kilesa and that kind of karma, which will bring its result. Heaviness of mind, dissatisfaction, discontent, agitation, unhappiness. Or we follow the way of Dharma, developing the path, sila samati panya. Every part of the practice is an opportunity to develop the path, to make good karma. We're both receiving the fruits of our good karma, that we have the chance to practice. We have monasteries, we have people willing to support us. And then we have the opportunity to make fresh good karma through the practice. And we do have to remember we haven't reached Nibbana yet, so we have to rely on these good conditions maybe for a long time. So it's worthwhile investing in making merit, doing good, helping others, helping the monastery, sanghas, because this would develop some of the good causes that will keep us supported and keep us practicing for as long as it takes. And we don't know how long we've got, how long it will take to reach Nibbāna. We still have a bit of time left now, so I'll end the talk there and we can uh, carry on practicing.